John Feldman. And I'm Andrew Smith. And this is The Rally Call. And we're live. Welcome to episode five, everyone. Today's episode is about first-time sales managers. How to be successful if you find yourself in your first-time sales management role in technology. And how to manage your manager if you are a seller and your manager is doing it for the first time. So before we kick this off, Andrew, it's kind of widely known or in the circles of sales anyway that being a frontline sales manager, like never mind being a first-time frontline sales manager is arguably one of the hardest jobs in sales. I would say is arguably one of the hardest jobs in technology, not just in sales. And the reason is you get little to no training. You're often a good seller who has been promoted into a job that may have little to do with what you what made you successful as a seller. And you get squeezed in between the official corporate line and the reality of the front line. So trying to please the demands of the, the, the corporation and also trying to deal with the realities of the market and the demands from your sellers. And you're responsible for all of those sellers for possibly millions of dollars worth of human resources. And you're responsible for their output, for helping them to achieve their objectives and life. And behind every one of them could be a family and children. And that, that weighs on you. And it becomes a stressful job. It can be unbearable at times, a quarter end when you're working under tight deadlines. And the highs are phenomenal. The lows are very low. And so it takes a tremendous emotional toll. So from a seller's point of view, if you are a, a seller and you have a first-time manager, manager what, what you have to understand is that your frontline manager, your first-time manager is, is going to have a, a bit of a mix to them, right? One is they're going to be influenced by a previous manager, number one, and some of that legacy that they've carried forward or they learned from will come out in their own management styles. So it's, it's really important to recognize that first-time managers will also do what's natural for them. And that is, is continue selling because they haven't learned how to be a manager yet. And we call that like the default behavior, right? So, so two concepts there. One, they're going to copy what they've learned from their manager. And two, they're going to go into default behavior. And the, the default behavior that I've seen is they become, uh, they get really micromanaging in the deals themselves. And it's important as a seller to learn how to manage your manager before any of this like uncomfortableness can happen by the behavior of a first time sales manager. So it's extremely delicate, but you have to learn it because you want to have a good experience with them, which is why we're doing this podcast today. Um, knowing who mentored them is very important if you do. And uh, the other thing is you, you have to prepare yourself for what potentially lies ahead, knowing that they're going to elicit behavior that they've learned before from their previous manager that we spoke about. And two, they're going to come in and behave um, like a seller in their first initial however long as a sales manager. Yeah, absolutely. And as a first-time manager, you need to understand that the objective is to use the resources, the salespeople, to achieve the mission, which means achieving the mission 
through people. It's not achieving the mission without people. It's through people. And you will achieve that mission when and only when you learn that your primary job is to teach, mentor, and help your salespeople achieve their goals and not to become what we we see too often, a super sales rep. So uh, for those who have never come across this term, you'll probably recognize it. Super sales rep wants to get involved in the deals directly and co-lead the sales cycle instead of providing the feedback, advice, coaching on what the seller should consider doing. So they often plow their way into the opportunity, push the rep aside, and a lot of reps will be happy to let the, the, the manager take over, but they don't understand that pushing aside the sales rep, you, you miss what the biggest issues are affecting the team, right? And the you end up often being a micromanager, and it's tactical and not strategic. I, I um I read a good quote the other day. It was in uh it was in a book, and it it said uh, people often refer to me as a firefighter. This was a sales leader, and uh, mm-hmm. and he said, "I'm not a firefighter. I'm a park ranger." And as a park ranger, I have to decide what fires to let burn and what fires to put out. And the reason why I bring this up is because a first-time sales manager doesn't even know that something's on fire. Yeah. They don't know that it's their job to be the bulldozer of big rocks out of the way of the team. They think their job is to hit the number and, and use that default behavior that, that we spoke about. All right. So we're going to get into the details here in this episode. We're going to discuss what it's like to work for a first-time sales manager and how best to work with them, what's important for the first-time sales manager to learn quickly and achieve quickly, and advice for succeeding as a first-time sales manager. Kick it off. Okay, so we're going to talk about what to do and what not to do as a rookie sales manager. So number one on the do list is seek advice from the team members on how they like to be managed. This should be the first thing that you do the day after, the day that you're assigned your team. Learn about them as humans. Find out what they like, what they don't like, what would help them, what obstacles you need to remove for them. Now, if you were their peer before, and this is often the case, this is really important. You need to prove that you can add value very quickly, but you don't want to be overbearing and jump on every call like the super sales rep. Ideally, you get involved in the big deals and the sticky deals where you're most needed. So find out what help they need and deliver that. Yeah, and and, um, this is something that... that I rarely see what what happens as a first time sales manager. Usually the default behavior is to talk about the forecast and the deals and things that are pretty tactical. But what I like about this is being strategic and understanding like what motivates that AE, what help they need, what help they may not need, knowing and trying to get a little bit under the skin of who that person is so that you can effectively helping them, which actually takes us into uh, our suggestion number two as a first time sales manager. And, and this is pretty easy. Um, create a very simple two by two, and and plot your reps. And one will be one will measure skill, and one will measure will, so that you can start to understand where and what AE 
would need for coaching and how to treat them individually as people because each one is a different seller and each one will have different skill sets. Some people might have less urgency, some people might have more urgency, but until you actually look at that that graph or that plot line and understand where you should be putting your efforts or what you should be doing on that skill will matrix, uh, you will end up making a mistake, which is treating every single rep the same. And that's a that's an error. Great reps need things blown out of their way. Emerging reps need coaching and mentoring. Reps who are struggling either need a plan to get better or they need to have the tough conversation, which is, hey, is this is this really, really for you? Um, anything to add there, Andrew? No, I think you covered most of that, John. The But you'd be surprised how few people actually go through the two by two. I, I've seen it done at a lot of companies when they're doing a serious overhaul of the sales organization and it's a revelation to people. It should be the first thing a manager does. It should be done, in my opinion, every quarter. You revisit that two by two matrix and figure out where has anybody moved? Am I moving the people into the right quadrant or not? Uh, but it's it's uh, you, you have to remember that you're you're always on stage and from day one, everyone will be looking at what you're doing, right? So they'll be looking at, do you go right into forecasting hygiene and Salesforce hygiene? Is, is that the first thing that you do? It's important to do, and we'll get to the importance of that, but it shouldn't be the first thing that you do because there'll be some reps that may not have wanted you as the manager. Maybe they liked the previous manager better. Maybe they didn't like you as a seller or don't like you as a person. That's just a reality. And they might be trying to undermine you. And you have to understand that. And you have a very short time to prove your competence and your credibility. And the best way to get to kickstart that is to invest the time in understanding where every one of your reps are. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, the other suggestion I would make, and, and that's along the same lines as what you were saying, is... Find out what the what the consistent big rock or one of the big rocks is amongst the team. And if you really want to provide value for your team and and look like you can manage and and gain some credibility, blow that rock up. Yeah. Like like work hard to remove that barrier so that you're buying some currency from the team right away and i've seen that work really well because it's a very good team approach and they understand that the manager is actually invested in in moving it forward and when they're successful especially something that's been sticky for a really really yeah. long time and they get it done like what better way to to uh to provide instant credibility yeah i have an example of that where as a newish rep a newest man newish manager I was able to successfully change a process involving pre-sales, right? The onerous process to get a demo booked by pre-sales. And we were able to change that. And that bought me a year's worth of credibility right then and there because that was such a huge obstacle for them. Look, the good reps will always be skeptical of their new manager. So don't don't take it personally. They're in their mind, you work for them and you do work for them and, and they will not always want you to touch their deals until they're sure that you're going to add value and don't present any risk. So 
leave the good reps to do their thing and remove the obstacles for them. Yeah, the 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 reps and I actually this is another thing I read and I wish I remember where I did so I could share it with people. But I think it was a survey and what reps really looked um, at for their manager and gave them high marks was someone who was willing to jump in the foxhole and grab a rifle, but only when the rep needed it. They loved it when they were there. You hop on the call, you do the strategy session, they're there with you. They love that, but it's at the request of the rep, not the other way around. Nobody likes to be micromanaged and nobody likes to be told what to do. But if you can do it in a way where you're sitting down as partners and you each play a part in that call, that rated really, really highly. But it's got to be at the rep's discretion after they've built the credibility in order for that to even happen. Uh, look, an, another um, another suggestion is I, I, I'm a big believer in this because I do it myself, but I like to enforce the methodology and the discipline and the hygiene of a uh, of a good sales team. Whether you're a force management command of the message shop or whether you're a Sandler shop, I mean, Look, the good, those 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 methodologies and systems don't guarantee the sale, but they certainly de-risk it the most. And these are really, really strong, powerful methodologies that, when used in the right way, can take a rep from a you know a C plus player to an A player. And it's it's your job to invest in your people to make them fantastic at what they do. Mm-hmm. So. You're, it's it's also a fine line because a lot of salespeople will look at methodologies and sales systems as, as a little bit hokey. But if you can get them to cross that line and realize that like the benefits of it are only going to help them, then it becomes like this massive investment to get them better. And they super appreciate them getting better. But there's a flip side to that. The flip side to that is as a as a first line sales manager, what they will do is they won't um, necessarily um, not scold, but they won't necessarily hold people accountable as much as they should. And that's a mistake. You have to have a line there. There's a non-negotiable. And in my world, the non-negotiable is adherence to the, to the sales methodology that, uh, that your company has paid a lot of money for to get these people to be better. And frankly, like this may be controversial, but if you have a team that is not willing to do that, you might have the wrong people, which might be a different and a very new set of challenges for a first time sales manager to even do that. The other thing that I like about that is as a first time sales manager, making sure that methodology and discipline and hygiene is there is is your uplines will like that. They're the ones who invested in, in these selling systems. And when they look at Salesforce and they see that it's nice and tidy and they're using the lexicon of those uh of those sales systems look it looks like you're 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 doing what you're supposed to do so do not get off that it's it's going to be hard because you you're going to get some pushback but from a long-term perspective the good sellers will realize that what you're doing is investing in them you're giving them a skill set yeah, for me, it is non-negotiable to enforce the methodology and, and the discipline and the sales hygiene. And a lot of reps will push back on a new manager. Oh, this is, uh, I'm hitting my number. I'm, I'm doing okay. I don't agree with this process. If you 
succumb to the temptation of taking it easy on them or filling out the close dates for them or updating CRM for them, you just proven yourself to be a pushover, right? And you failed the first test. So that's why you got to take the time to know the people first, show some credibility first, and then you say, okay, look, we are all accountable here for the, the commitments we've made to the number or to the, to the company. And part of that accountability is the methodology and the sales hygiene, right? So without being a tyrant, you have to find a way to get your, your team to do these basic requirements, right? And sales hygiene is a basic requirement. So you have to balance the demands that you make with the value that you provide. Just like you cannot ask a million questions of a prospect without providing some value to the prospect, you have to find a way to deliver value to your team for the demands that you make. And uh, keeping the uh, good sales hygiene and following the methodology is a demand that you must make. Agreed. Um, the, the, the next one we're going to talk about, I think, is probably one of the hardest ones. Yeah. Um, but it's as a first time sales manager, it's it's imperative that you shield your people from uh, so from, frankly, the bullshit that tends to rain down from above. And the more that you can be a little bit strategic in letting some stuff fall on them and other stuff that they that they don't need to be concerned about or shield them from, you're probably going to be better off. But I've seen some first time managers make the mistake of telling their teams everything or telling them too much. And it can be a bit of a of a distraction, especially like model changes or territory changes or comp plan changes. And you've been in the business for a long time. We all know that there's these are things that are always going to go on in the back room. We're going to hire more people. We're going to go into a new process here. This product line is dying. This one's coming off. We're changing the pricing here. There's all this noise, constant change. And we know from this industry, from years and years of being in it, the only thing that is constant in this industry is change. But you got to shield your sales reps from the things that are important and the things that are just noise so that they can focus and concentrate on what they're supposed to do. Yeah, there is always someone or some team scheming up some plan to do things better, right? We're going to like you say, add more reps, we're going to change the sales model, we're going to change the comp model. And, it, and apart from the first couple months of the of the sales year, it gets really intense, right? Especially around second, third quarter when people start thinking about how the model will be the next year. But you still have a team that needs to do six months worth of sales, right? So you, you have to figure out a way to keep them concentrated on the task, which is hitting the numbers for the next couple of quarters, and not contemplating what, you know, what, hey, I heard they're going to change the sales model. I heard they're going to move us to another office. I heard this. That is just a distraction. And you, you have to work to keep your salespeople occupied with whatever is information that you're providing that's relevant to them so that they just don't have time or attention to get plugged into corporate gossip that, about things that may or may not happen. Yeah, I think I first learned the saying that you, you, you shouldn't focus on the things that you can't control as a as a frontline sales manager that that old uh, that old saying but uh, and then being the uh, the recipient of news that frankly I didn't want to know or uh, or didn't need to know it, it, it can be distracting so that's that's going to be a key one but it's it's going to be hard for you to at first 
understand a what you should say and what you shouldn't say and b what to verify and what to not verify because you know rumor mills happen you don't want to become a, you don't want to come off as the person who like is the liar or who's holding things back yeah. um i used to just handle that by saying look there's a lot of rumors and in innuendo and there's tons of changes that always happen will this thing happen it may it may not nothing's baked yet we need to go back to the things that we can control and ignore the stuff that that we can't yeah okay so number six on the list learn how to provide effective feedback most people are terrible at giving feedback and and i was no exception when i was a sales manager when i was first time sales manager i think i made many people on my team cry because my feedback was so blunt where i thought it was being candid and honest and in reality, I was just being an insensitive jerk and, and not taking into account people's people's feelings. It's, it's really hard to learn how to give feedback. And you only get better at it by doing it. You can, you can read as many books as you want, watch videos, go to courses. You only really learn how to give feedback when you're sitting in front of somebody, giving them feedback, which is generally for something they need to improve on, and you're watching their face, watching the blood drain out of their face, or maybe they're crying, or they're upset, or they disagree, I thought it was way better. You have to get better at feedback. Uh, you have to be really good at it if you're going to be an effective sales manager, because if you just point out what people don't do well, they'll resent you, right? They already probably know that they don't do it that well, right? So it's, it's a critical skill, and you probably don't get taught that, from your company. You won't get sent to how to give feedback school. You'll have to learn this on your own, but it's an investment that you need to make if you want to be effective. Yeah. I, I um, every time I think about providing difficult feedback, I always go back to this one situation that I was in and it was with a rep that I really liked as a person still do keep in touch with them. Great human being. And, uh, but they weren't being, but they weren't very good or they they weren't being their best at where they were and the job that they were doing and it was it it racked my brain it hurt thinking about the discussion that I had to have and I spent days trying to like think about like I put myself in their shoes what what would what would I want to hear that would that would make me understand what this person is trying to say and, and that it was coming from a, a place of empathy and growth and trying to help them. Um, so I sat down with them and uh, I said, you know, I know that you've always had this other business thing that you've wanted to do. And I know that it's, it's kind of on the, on the side. And I said, my, my, my best suggestion to you is because you're so passionate about this and and we were honest with each other that they really weren't passionate about the role that that they were in, that I encouraged them to actually take the step and make that their full time career. And this was risky because they could have come back to me and said, well, hold on a second. Like, I that's just a side thing. Maybe they weren't ready to do that. But in this case, having read the tea leaves right and knowing the the, the person well, it was. And fast forward a, a couple years they're doing really, really well 
in this business that they started and we keep in touch regularly. They just hit a milestone of, I think, their 20 or 25th customer. Um, but I was so scared to provide that feedback, but I, I took it on an empathetic angle because I knew that it would be hard to them to understand. And it was like, I think they looked at me and said, is like, is this, are you firing me? And I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I guess I'm kind of firing you, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say to you that you're, you're destined for something else that's going to be much more fulfilling in your life than this. And I think you should try it. And uh, I'm so glad I took that, that uh, tactic um, other than the horrendous other examples I could use of when I did have to let people go where early in my career, I probably wasn't very good at it. Yeah. So what ha I've seen happen a lot and what I've done is I have not had those feedback sessions, those candid feedback sessions with, with sales reps and you end up firing people, right? And so you don't give any feedback. You're silently saying to yourself, this person's not going to make it. This person's not going to make it. And then all of a sudden it's okay. Let's go on a performance improvement plan. Mm -hmm. And then you fire them. And you should have had that conversation two years ago or a year ago. And it's really because you're afraid to do it. So you, I've seen people who are not afraid to do it, who are borderline psychopaths and just blurt out whatever comes to their mind. And, and those are not pleasant people to work with. But too often people err on the side of, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to hurt my feelings. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. So I'll just hope it gets better. And then you get to the point where you have to take action and you walk into a room and you cut their head off and they never saw it coming. Yeah, and that's, um, that actually takes us to the next point, ironically, which is, and I'm interested to hear your feedback on this, is I see a lot of uh, sales rep to sales manager relationships whose line, whose line, in my opinion, are, are a little too blurred, where they, I mean, and it's okay to be, to be a friend, um, but do you ever see where, where too good of a friendship can either lead to like really good things in the business, but I've also seen it um, go to lead really bad things where you're, you're almost uh, putting up with bad behavior because that, that line has been crossed or blurred. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I was a victim of this myself. I, I, I had taken a job as a sales manager in another country, like moved across the world, didn't know anyone, inherited this team. Some of them were good. Some of them were bad. Some of them I, I legitimately would be friends with, right? If I just met them on the street and I became friends with a lot of them. And that was because I didn't know anybody. That was my social circle was my sales team. And it was a blurry line of, okay, you guys need to prospect more, or you need to do this, or you need to change some behavior, or I have to push back against them because they are making some ridiculous or unreasonable demand. And then other reps are angry that I'm friends with this person, so I treat them with favoritism. It, um, it It's common when you're a new sales manager because you want to get people to let, especially if you have the need for approval, which is kryptonite in this job. Totally. You cannot have the need to, for approval. Everybody wants to be loved. That's a human, it's a human need. But in this job, you have to give up the need for approval and you have to be willing to walk alone. And that means you, you've got to maintain a strict line of, I'm the boss here. And we may get along, but 
this isn't us being friends and pals. This is us doing a job. Yeah. And uh, I've seen that line myself get a little bit blurred and it's uh, it's not good for, for either party when things inevitably get tough because you have your highs and highs and you have your, your, your lows and lows in sales. And when things are low and you have that line blurred, um, giving feedback or or having to make difficult decisions, it it it, uh, it might cloud judgment. Yeah, and that's why I am very suspicious. Well, well when I was a manager, I was very suspicious of sales reps who try really hard to be my friend. Mm-hmm. That's because they want to manipulate me. One hundred percent. That's why. And so I, I am suspicious of that. It's a red flag immediately. Okay, so we talked about some things to do. Let's go into what you do not want to do. So, number one, do not talk trash about your reps ever. So if you think that talking trash about sales reps on your teams uh, when you're with other managers in in performance review meetings with, with your upline or the leadership team, and you think that doesn't leak out, trust me, they talk it leaks. People find out. And the moment that you start criticizing a rep in public is the moment that you either need to improve them or move them out because they're no good. You cannot criticize them and then keep them. And that's something people fail to understand. If you'd say a rep is, oh, they can't prospect, they can't do this. Well, my question is, what are you doing about it and why are they still on your team? Yeah, great point. Actually, it's, this is such a good point because the heat doesn't go on the rep when you make the mistake. The heat goes on you. And worst case scenario is you're talking trash about them and maybe they had a bad quarter or they dropped a deal or whatever whatever it was. Um, but what happens if they rebound and they get back in their in their groove? Now they're tainted with that with that with that uh, that stamp that the manager may not think very highly of them. You you got to keep your personal uh, feelings about the reps to yourself, and always refer back to your skill will matrix or your or your your coaching matrix. If someone asks how that rep is doing, hey, you know that we are, we standardize on this. They're a three, and I'm trying to get them to a four, and these are the things that we're doing. But don't ever talk shit about them because the the reality is is that that it's on you. You're responsible for the yeah. person, not yeah. not to not to uh, to make it to uh, to be blunt, but like it's a bad reflection on you. Yeah. And then if they if they continue to be poor and they're still there, guess what? The the lights on you. So yeah, that is uh, absolutely true. Um, the other maybe corollary to that is you can't tolerate poor performance or wrong behavior for uh, for too long. I mean, this is a performance based uh, business, a performance based industry, and you you need to perform or to, to, to keep that chair like and if it's not going to happen, then you got to either think about how you're going to move them up or how you might have a difficult conversation to move them out. But, you know, back in the day, Andrew, remember we heard this? It was like if you ever want to uh, take it when you get your first team. Right. I used to have this this kind of like it wasn't a bit of like a psychotic sales VP, but it was a bit different. And you would say you want to get the people to respect you. Right. Fire somebody within your first two months of uh, of the role and you'll instantly get them in line. I'm like, 
it was like this thing that like that that people said back in the day. I don't know if I believe it. Uh, I believe it now. I would only do that if the if the performance um, wasn't there. But you can't tolerate bad uh, bad performance at all no. or bad habits. And I've I've literally seen like salespeople either berate somebody on another team or act completely wrong in situations because of the stress and the pressure and i've seen good sales managers grab them by the scruff of the neck and go the next time you do that you're out right and the, but i've also seen that happen and the sales manager do nothing right but in 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 my view you can't tolerate either yeah yeah now going back to the psychopath story there is usually one person on, if the team is large enough, there's usually one person that needs to go. And so there, I think there's some kernel of truth to what this, this person was saying was, if you're taking over a team, there might be people that need to go. When, when I took over one of the teams at uh, my previous employer, they, there were a couple of people that could have been on the bubble. And the way I handled it was, um, well, one of them, one of them, I, I actually, I, I learned about them before I actually took the job. And I said, if they're still there, when I get there, I will fire them. And so they were cleaned up before I, I, I got there. But I, I sat each member of the team down individually, and I pointed out a lot of the bad habits. I, I arrived at quarter end, and I saw terrible habits at quarter end. And I thought, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything because I've been here for two weeks. But in the new quarter, I said, if we don't adopt these things, these very basic sales hygiene, following the methodology, if we don't adopt these things, then I will put you on a performance improvement plan. That's what's going to happen, okay? So understand that now. And I'm giving you a lot of notice, but that's what's going to happen. And I did put one person on that and move them out of the organization because they clearly weren't willing to put in the effort. And it it does it does help if they see you shoot somebody right if that's if they need to be taken out and you do it you will gain credibility and respect it can't be the only thing that you do like you have to balance that with some value that you provide because anyone can fire people it doesn't take a lot of skill some people are not very good at it but they still do a lot of it but it will increase the respect that they have for you because Good sellers don't want to be around those people. They don't want they it, it devalues their experience. Yeah, that's that that's fair. And, and and my story was more about this this person who's like, I think is one of his first three rules were, and when you first inherit a team, you find the person that you think is going to be the lowest or is the lowest, and you fire him to send a message to the team. I'm like, yeah. oh, I don't know. I probably would hey. try to get a little <laughs> bit of an mean? understanding of it first. But yeah, hey, we're you know. old times were different. Well, I worked for a VP sales that said always have one person on the way out and one person on the way in and just rotate it constantly. Yeah. Boy, are the, are the, are the times ever different. Um, we'll also talk about one of the do not do's, which is you can't come in guns a blazing. 
Nobody likes the person who comes in and they are overbearing and commanding right off the bat. Like they think the way to get a team to follow them is to demand, right? And prescribe without, and I think you said this before, without giving like any value at all. So like your first meeting is like, this is what we're going to do. And this is the plan. And this is how we're going to go forward. And you're going to do this. And hey, it's... Oh, nothing will scare a room of 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 sales reps away from their new manager if they feel that they are going to be dictated to rather than be have some sort of two way dialogue and communication of how the relationship should work. For sure. I've worked for really demanding VP sales before who probably the most demanding person I've ever worked for and really stressful, often unpleasant. But for the first six months that they were on the job, never made any request or any demand. They observed, they just watched everything. And then they formed their opinion and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And people listened because they knew they had been observing for six months and had had participated but hadn't told anyone to actually do anything right so totally agree you cannot come in without having earned the right and the trust to start making demands of people that's you're uh, you're gonna have a revolt on your hands if you do that and if you look at the average tenure of reps today being less than two years you're gonna have half your team leave you're gonna have good sellers leave if you don't have a full team you're not gonna make your number and now guess what you're the one in the hot seat. Yeah, I I know that the the topic today is first line managers. Um, as a first line manager, I had a my VP. I think the best VP that I ever had, just to go along with what we're saying in being in being sort of a two way relationship. He was a tough guy. Like he was he was a tough guy, but he was also super fair. He was and it's a, I try to keep that balance with how I I manage because his accountability level was really, really high. So it was always a two way street. But you had to earn your uh, your asks. You had to earn it from him. And if you did, he gave it back to you in 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 spades. Um, and. Uh, then I've had others who were like super demanding and it was always sort of a, a dictatorship. And th- those ones I, I didn't really respond to because like you never really you never really had a, a say. And then I've had like complete psychopaths who would be like fantastic in a in a in a horror movie and who should never be anywhere near human beings or uh, or uh, or have anything to do with them. They should be in a in a cell somewhere. I mean, but everybody's got uh Everybody's got that story, but so from a seller's point of view, Andrew, let's let's flip the tables now. Okay. From a seller's point of view, so now you're the AE, right? You may be experienced, you may not. Um, you're being introduced to the manager, and you know that they used to sit beside you, or they came from a, or they came from another team, but they're a first time manager. Like, what is your strategy? How do you handle that? Okay, first thing I would do, I would tell the new manager what I need what I like, what I dislike, but do this in a descriptive and factual way, okay? So this is not a bitch session where you're complaining about everything that they're probably already aware of anyway. You just want to talk about the facts, the things that are getting in the way of you you closing business, the things that are getting in the way of you hitting your number, right? 
and tell them what could what they can do to make a better outcome or improve the situation. Just be honest about it and be clear and be specific. So in giving feedback and requests to anyone, you need to do give them something that they can do, right? You don't want to give them a vague request like, well, we need more leads or we need better SDRs. Be specific about what they can do to improve your situation. Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. And it's it sort of sets that 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 stage and uh, and the relationship going forward so that you're not coming off as being one who's going to be a victim and be dictated to. It's like, hey, I'm going to sit down. I know you're new. Um, these are the things that I would really benefit from personally to help my business. And and here's why I, I also suggest that maybe not right away, but but early on is that you should let your manager know where you want to go and what you want to do with your with your career. If you're performing and um, and you have career aspirations and hopefully you have you have both and the manager may not understand this yet. So it's important that maybe you kind of try to lead the horse to water a little bit. But part of the manager's role is to help that AE or help that person get where they want to go in life. It's extracting the best performance out of somebody. It's coaching. It's mentoring. Managers are there to grow people. More importantly, managers are there to promote people. That's They don't know that yet. But I would sit down and with my manager and say, hey, I want to go into management one day myself or I really want to go on the channel team or I want to go and transfer to a, another office in, uh, in a different part of the world to get that experience. If I do this, can you help me get there? Mm-hmm. But it's the first kernel that they'll ever hear that that might actually be part of my job. And it most certainly is. It is your job. Yeah, not just part of your job. So another thing I would do as a rep, I was ask for feedback from your manager, right? And there's a couple reasons why you do this and, and you ask for feedback in the very beginning about, hey, what do you think about the way that I work, about uh, whatever situation that they've participated in. The, the reason you want to ask for feedback consistently from your manager after every interaction is it conditions them to learn how to provide feedback to you, right? So it tells them, if I get off a sales call with the seller, they're going to want to know feedback. So I have to, one, pay attention and not be on my phone or doing something else during the sales call. I have to pay attention to the sales sales call. And then I have to provide meaningful feedback. So you're now making a demand of your manager, and it shifts them away from focusing on lower value tasks a manager could do. Oh, well, you could have uh, spoken about this feature or you can update your CRM or you can follow the methodology more effectively. Something low value and, you've, and it shifts them into providing coaching and feedback mm-hmm. and that that is what you expect from, uh, from a manager. So I had a sales rep who would, who would book me onto demos with them and the, and the pre-sales person and he would book an extra 15 minutes so that we could talk about the meeting. And he would always ask me, how do you think I did? What could I have done differently? What could I do better? What would you have done? And so he would always ask these questions. I would have to be ready to answer them. So I'd have to pay attention and be involved and be engaged and do something meaningful rather than say, well, when do you think it's going to close? How can you get it closer faster? 
Yeah, and this is a different era too, right? Because I like to call it the evidence-based era of sales because you have sales loft out there and you have gong and chorus and like your fingerprints literally are everywhere on a deal. I would be proactive here. If you had a, a good call, send it to your, your manager and say, hey, could I get some feedback yeah, on this? Yeah. It went it went really well. I'd like to get some ideas of where it, uh, it could go next. Or, hey, I had a call that I don't think I handled very well. I got a little stuck here. Can you review this and maybe you can help me give me some uh, give me some pointers on what I should be doing differently or my email sequence is, uh, seems to be off. Can you take a look at it for me? But when you, when you put the carrot out there for your manager to actually help you in things that could make your job better, uh, it starts to build that relationship where it's, uh, it doesn't become micromanaging. It becomes what, what a, a manager in sales should be. Yeah. And speaking about micromanagement, Number one issue that micromanaging managers focus on is CRM hygiene. So take that away from them by just doing the basics that are expected of any seller. Notes, next steps, the sales methodology details that you're supposed to put into the opportunities. The more details you provide on this, the less opportunity you give a manager to start focusing their time and attention on micromanaging you about CRM. So take it away from them. Then that forces them to provide more meaningful and more value interaction, right? I, I was guilty of this as a sales manager, and I had this one rep who kept perfect CRM notes, everything updated all the time. And I would ask him about a deal. He wouldn't even look at me. He'd say, it's in CRM. Why are you asking me? And he was right. Why was I asking him? Is this all the only value that I can provide him? It, it takes zero skills to ask people about or to remind people to update their CRM, right? So don't be that manager. Or you don't want to have a manager who does that. So train them out of it by taking it away from them. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, like nothing, nothing frustrates me more where I go on and I, I look at I look at uh, the CRM daily and something is uh, a good deal is brewing and you know it and it's just sloppy. It's it's in the wrong forecast category. It's uh, it's for the wrong amount of money. And the next step was a month ago. I mean, it's like if, if you want to help me not have to micromanage you. Take the 15 or 20 minutes and give me the optic that you should be giving, which is you're capable and I can rely on you. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that one I can go on uh, all day. Um, the other thing that I will say is just like you shouldn't talk shit about your sales rep, you should never talk shit about your manager. They will find out. They will find out. They always do. And you can go for those lunches with the rest of the sales reps and talk about how bad your manager is and what dumb thing that they've done. And I've been at those lunches. Somebody always talks, right? And uh, what your grandmother said is true. Don't, don't gossip. Don't talk about people behind their back because they will find out. And you know, the, the inverse of that is find ways to make them look good, right? The, and the best way to make them look good is to provide them with reliable and predictable revenue. If you do that consistently, you'll be in a better position to manage them. You'll be in a better position to make requests and have them fulfilled. So rather than talking trash about them behind their back, make them look good. Yeah, I, I uh, along those lines, I had um, 
I had uh, one rep who used to always say that you're like Gumby. And for those who are too young to remember who Gumby is, Gumby was this like little green character that you could stretch and pull in a million different ways. And he used to say, I would never want to be in your position. You're pulled into way too many crazy situations. Like it must be too stressful. So what I would suggest as a first time seller is understand that, know what that first time manager is going through and support them. They're going to be pulled in a million different directions. You know that there's a line that the boardroom is saying and there's a line that the front lines are saying. You have to understand and have a little bit of empathy for this person who's in a pretty tough situation and they're going to learn and hopefully grow to be a great manager. Support them. Cut them some slack. Be open with them. Discuss the things that you need. But don't be too critical early on. That's that's only going to get their back up and, and, and start you off on a on a bad foot. All right. So we covered a lot of ground today from both the seller's point of view and the manager's point of view. And so to summarize, as a new manager, what you want to do is listen, observe, get feedback from your team, put them into different categories around skill and will, however you want to do it to think about where each of them is and what each of them needs. You want to enforce the methodology and the sales hygiene that's required. You want to shield them from the BS that tends to rain down from corporate. And you got to maintain a line between being friends and being their boss. You don't want to talk trash about them. You don't want to tolerate bad behavior. And you do not want to make demands early on without providing value. Now, as a seller, what you want to do is tell them what they need, what you need. You want to tell them that where you want to go and ask them for feedback. You want to keep good CRM hygiene. Give them time to learn, but not too long. You want to not talk trash about them, but make them look good and support them. Now, the relationship between first-line manager and seller is an intimate one. Is You're talking all day, every day, sometimes at night. And having a bad boss is one of the most stressful situations you can find yourself in. So for the sake of the happiness of humanity, it's on everybody to get this relationship right. Yeah, and I, I, to, to end it off, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poorly quote Simon Sinek, but I think he says, um, we're not in charge of the number. We're in charge of the people who own the number. And as soon as first-time sales managers understand that when you invest and care for and show empathy and humility and humanity in dealing with people, you will get the best performance out of the people, not by dictating and not by being iron-fisted. You get it by helping them get where they want to go in life and being a good human. I know that sounds a little, a little fluffy, but... You know, your your job as a sales manager is to take this this kernel of talent and and turn it into something wonderful. But uh, until next time, I'm John Feldman. And I'm Andrew Smith. And this has been The Rally Call. The Rally Call is produced by Scott Switzer.